weather. It's the international best-selling author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, or the co-founder of Match.com, or the host of the MSNBC show, Your Business. They all have one thing in common. They are some of the many guests that want you to reach the finish line. Your host is Callan Diggs. Welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Ayelet Levy. She is the vice president of the U.S. market of Nowit. Uh, it's an, an award-winning shoe brand, uh, experts in fine, comfortable footwear. Uh, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, very happy to have a pair of myself. Actually, uh, you know, Ayala just told me, uh, you know, a few minutes ago that Bono wears these same shoes. So I'm definitely happy, uh, you know, to definitely be in good company. You know, very exciting brand. Uh, you know, lo- you know, it's located in a very small farm community in the northernmost part of Israel. Uh, you know, it's, it's been getting picked up by mainstream media. Uh, it's very diverse uh, workplace, hiring people of every religion, uh, faith, and ethnicity. Uh, and uh, I definitely like what you're doing, and I'm very happy to have her, have her on. Ayelet, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here today. Let's go back in time. You know, how, you know, what was your humble beginnings like? I've talked to a lot of kind of entrepreneurs, executives. You know, some people kind of come from the, the seventh heaven type of childhoods. And then I've talked to a lot of other people that kind of, you know, really comes from very unfortunate and disadvantaged uh, childhoods. And, but, you know, really so interesting to hear both sides how, you know, ultimately it's still they, they use their circumstances to make themselves great entrepreneurs or great executives. You know, let's start with you, Ayala. What was it like as, as what was it like when you were growing up as a child? So I was actually born in Israel on a kibbutz, which is um, similar to where we manufacture our shoes. It's basically a socialist farm. Mm. Um, and I actually have been talking to people about it a lot recently and saying that, in, you know, in the kibbutz, I went into a, uh, a children's house, actually, mm-hmm. at a very age of six months old. And and the belief was that you share everything. Mm-hmm. Um, at a very young age, I, I spent most of my time outside. Um, my dad got very sick when mm-hmm. we were in Israel. And um, we ended up moving back to the United States uh, when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And um, when we came here, we really had no money and um, you know nowhere to really turn. And my dad had called... My parents had really called my aunts, uh, my mom's sisters are both still in Israel, and had called them to start trying to figure out what to do. And my dad was definitely always very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. So he um, packed us in his car, my sister and I, and my sister was four at the time, and I was three and a half, and I was seven, and packed in the car, and we drove all up and down the East Coast. And at that time, he was selling um, leather jackets. Mm. We would wave and, you know, kind of, come in and, and do the little presentations with him. Um, and they were sheep, sheepskin jackets back in the 80s. I don't know if you have seen those, you know, those really shearling sheepskin jackets that were really big back then. I see. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just being born at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, you know, we sold those. And, and the funny thing was my, my uncle's factory had made them in Israel. And mm-hmm. um, he tried to, to bring them here. And, and he never knew what a reorder was. My parents really didn't know what a reorder was. Because the shearling jackets had sleeves that didn't fit. They were way too short. <laughs> and But everybody that we went in and all the store owners really loved my parents and loved our story. 
And um, at one time, and we used to go to the, the fairs with them, and I would make jewelry and T-shirts and, and really learn how to, to, to market myself and market what I was trying to do as a little kid. And um, my parents were working out of their basement, and um, we kind of knew that this wasn't going to go anywhere, and we called my mom's other sister in Israel, and she was living on Kibbutz Neo at the time, and um, her husband was from there, and they had known that the director of the Neo factory, a factory that is very well known in Israel, is it's one of the brands, the um, biggest brands in Israel, oh, was okay. to the United States, and he was going to be looking for a distributor. And wow. so my dad came up, and he said, I don't want to meet with you. <laughs> <laughs> so he went to the trade show, found out where he was going, and he basically, you know, came in and made himself known and kicked them all out of the booth and um, said, give me an hour or two and let me show you what I could do. And he started selling and he sold more in those two hours than they had in the first two days of the trade show. Wow. Um, so he started and we started traveling with him selling shoes. So I've been working, you know, in shoes with my parents since a very young age and um, came fully into the business about 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. I uh, graduated with a master's degree in um, shoe, shoe design and technology from England after graduating uh, university. And I went off to work actually in advertising for a little bit and in real estate and in, in, in retail for a little bit so that I would get a little bit more of a diverse background. I see. And wow. Decided yeah, let's yeah, let's let's uh you know I definitely want to uh, kind of ask this uh, I yell it, uh, you know you see you had a master's degree and wow that's actually in shoe design technology uh, did you get that in Israel or did you get that in the U S neither in England oh in England uh, wow okay in a little town called Leicester England um, it's about two hours north of London mm. and it was quite the fun time to be there because we. Uh, it was two thousand and four, which was a very interesting time. I see. Um, Iraq at the time, and internationally, it was interesting to be abroad. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And let me ask you this, because because uh, you know this is kind of one of the most common questions that I ask everyone: is Do you feel like your university degree has made you uh, a better um, executive? Uh, you know, with, with with your family's business. So I think. I think that degrees are used for different things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's engineering degrees that go in, and obviously they need to learn how to be an engineer. My sister is a pediatrician, obviously needed to go learn how to do that mm -hmm. before she went to be a pediatrician. Um, I think that my undergraduate degree, I have an undergraduate degree in business, um, marketing, and, um, and painting. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely took a lot of different courses while I was in my undergraduate degree, and and I think that it made me a more, more well-rounded person, mm -hmm. which um, in turn allows me, especially in my daily life, to talk about various subjects with my retailers or with consumers or with designers from a different perspective than I think I would have had I not gone. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's it's definitely uh always interesting to hear how many people kind of find it to be useful, and other people really, uh, you know, they drop out or you know, or they just never go, and they have just as much success. And you know, you know, I, you know, I always say, you know, really, it's you know, every situation is definitely unique. And uh, I don't like to. I mean, obviously, there are some core principles that you know I always advise everyone. But uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, as you and as well as a lot of other guesses, uh, definitely, uh, you know, 
your, your, your time at university has definitely been instrumental uh, in helping you become a, a better uh, work professional executive uh, in your family's business. I'm definitely interested uh, in talking um, uh, also kind of about, you know, now it and where it is actually at. You know, for many people who don't know, uh, it's actually only 30 miles from Syria and Lebanon. And, uh, you know, here over in the U.S., you know, many people watch the news and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're only seeing one side of the story, you know, obviously. And, you know, and whether whether that side is, you know, misleading or, you know, factual or completely wrong, you no, know, no one knows. But, you know, many people, uh, many people, you know, when, when they hear about Syria and Lebanon, they're like, wow, you know, that must be bad area. And they hear about your and, and, then, and then we're talking about how your factory is so close uh, to Syria and Lebanon. Let's talk about that. Were there any, uh, let's say, uh, were there any hesitations, you know, about kind of, you know, setting up your factory in such a in such an area and where I guess it's perceived to us Americans to be high risk? Or in reality, is it not as dangerous as, you know, Americans are led to believe? So for the factory has been there um, for, you know, about 50 years. So I would say, you know, it's been there pre what you, what you would have heard about or whatnot. Oh, I see. Um, so the factory has been there for a long time. It's actually, you know, as you said, the media likes to focus on, on the negative because that's what sells stories. Yeah. Really. That's what makes headlines um, mm-hmm. and ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love what we do because, We've created sort of this oasis in northern Israel. It's actually on, Naot means oasis in Hebrew. Mm. And, um, and it also means beauty. An oasis in beauty, if you think about it, Israel's in the middle of a desert, uh, are, are, syno- are synonymous in, in, in the Hebrew language. Mm. Um, and it's based right in the Hula Valley, which is where all the birds stop. You can picture the most peaceful place where all the birds stop from Europe to Africa to on their way and on their you know descent either north or south when they're migrating. Mm. Um, and so it's the, one of the best bird watching areas in the world. Mm. Um, we're directly attached to that. And so because of that, we've been very ecologically minded in terms of how we do our production and, and where we do where you know what we put into the shoes and besides being health conscious company. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachinthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachinthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook that you're right we employ people from every religion and every race and you know we have um christian arabs we have muslim arabs we have druze which i don't know if many people know what that is in the u.s but it's special religion um in the middle east um we have um, religious jews we have secular jews we have um russians we have ethiopians Mm -hmm. and they all coexist in this place and not only do they coexist by working together they're all very good friends, and they act as one big family. You know, they go to each other's weddings. They go to each other's baby namings. They go to each other's you know, celebrations and um, you know, deaths, and they celebrate each part of life with each other, and they really become very, 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 very close. And you know, we know each one of them. Um, and on a daily basis, you, know, you don't feel it. It's, it's a serene place 
um, that really presents a beautiful area and a beautiful way of thinking about the world. Uh, and, and the reality is that, you know, many people in Israel are good friends like that, and, and you don't hear those stories. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's, you know, such, that's, that's so refreshing to hear, uh, because, you know, again, you know, really, um, there was a, you know, only I think I think between forty to forty-five percent, which is still extremely low, but only forty to forty-five percent of Americans have U.S. passports. So, like most Americans, like have never traveled, uh, they've never traveled to uh, outside the country, let alone to Israel. Uh, so most of them, you know, they're just susceptible to what they're hearing on the news. And it's definitely a great, you know, to hear for someone like you. Uh, you know, you know, a firsthand story about how, you know, really there's a lot of coexistence of different religions, different races uh, of people, you know, working together, living harmoniously. And that there's just another side of Israel that oftentimes people don't know about. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, I live in multiple countries a year. I do a lot of hopping around and, uh, you know, definitely Israel is on the list. I like to go there. Uh, I'm actually a fan of the warmer climate, so. <laughs> right up for you. <laughs> What's that? So then that should be right up there for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, looking forward to that. Um, so let's talk about, you know, obviously for you, uh, you know, this is really kind of has been a family business for you. So I'm quite sure there's a lot of things you learn from your father. You know, probably I would imagine that as far as, you know, as far as like uh, your a business mentor would probably be your father. You know, as you was talking about earlier, uh, you know, how he was just so entrepreneurial. How he was just so driven. He was he had so much tenacity to really uh, make this happen. You know, let's talk about probably what was that? What was the main what was the, what was the principal lesson? that you have learned from your father that has made you a better uh, executive? I think the biggest thing that I learned from my father is you can take risks and then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And failure is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he had two prior businesses that were ventures into business that failed before he launched something that was successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was okay. And the other biggest thing that my father stands for is that his handshake is everything. Mm. Um, and a handshake, whether it's with your employee, whether it's with a business associate, um, or somebody you're in dealing, in dealing with in any way, each way, your handshake and your word is everything. Mm. And if you can shake somebody's hand, you're never going to do more or less than what you agreed on. Um, but that they know that they that what you said is what's going to happen, and that makes all the difference. So you're saying that, like, um, well, so uh, so. Are, they, are, are you are, like? Do you mean in a sense that a handshake when you're meeting someone, or do you mean in a sense uh, where you're making a deal, like your handshake is your word? Is that which or, or which one, which one which way are we referring to? It's a little. I'm talking about more about what your word is is what is everything that you can, you know, that you stand for. And, and, and that's within the handshake. Is that what you're saying? That's within the handshake. So you know, when he makes a deal and he gives out his hand, he usually puts out his hand. And goes, this is my word. And I'll put out his hand and I'll do a, a handshake. And what he says is what he does. And uh, you know, that handshake means that I agreed on it. Mm-hmm. Whatever we agree on, it is what it is, and I'm not going to turn around and change it or continue it tomorrow. Well, you know what, Ayala, I sure wish that was the case in the U.S. You know, uh, the U.S. is a very, uh, I mean, as you probably already know, uh, it's a very litigious uh, society. And I really, it's, you have to get everything in a contract. You know, it's re- either really, if it's not, if it's not in ink and if it's not signed, 
uh, it doesn't uh, really, uh, it, it's not really set in stone. But, you know, I can definitely tell you that, you know, I've been to multiple countries and where, like, uh, places like Mexico, uh, places like, even places like Spain, and where, like, the, hands the handshakes still really cement deals. You know, when, when you shake, when, when you look someone, you make a deal, and you shake someone's hand, like, you have a deal. You know, and, uh, and so it's like, but this, but so it's, it's 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 quite interesting to kind of really looking at various cultures and just seeing uh, the way they do business. You know, you know, for me that would be obviously convenient. You know, stuff. You know, signing contracts that have all these different, uh, you know, terms that you don't fully understand. I, I call it lawyer speak because you know a lot of it's like pages and pages and pages and pages, and really need a lawyer to really help you make sense of all that. But uh, but yeah, you know. It, in, a, in an ideal world, not definitely would like that. If we could just all just keep shake our hand and and our, our handshake would be our word, you know, that would be ideal. I will, <laughs> yeah. This contract yeah. doesn't follow, but at least we all know that we have the same agreement, right? Before right. we get a contract. Yeah, for sure, this for sure. Communication's a little bit easier. Yeah, and then you also talked about uh, risk taking, and uh, now see, this is interesting because um, you know, really looking at it from a a cultural perspective, uh, you know, there's a lot of cultures and where they don't believe in taking a lot of risks. It's, it's more like security. It's more like, oh, well, this works perfectly. We're not going to rock the boat. We're going to just do the way we want to just keep continue to do things how we've always been doing it because it's fine, you know. And then, and, and then you have places like you know the U.S. I'm not sure, maybe it, maybe you know you can speak to, more to Israel, but the U.S. is very more like a risk taker. You know, you go all in, and you know, you know, uh, basically as the entrepreneur um, society continues to evolve, it's just it's it just encouraging more people to take risk. Um, how now? This is going to be kind of a two-part question, but I'll first start with this part. You know, what would you say? to people like yourself, you know, I mean, obviously you, you kind of come from a bi, a, you know, bicultural, you know, two different cultures, but from, from, from people who are listening, because we got listeners all around the world, who comes from a culture that's traditionally, uh, you know, risk averse, you know, like risk, it scares the heck out of them. You know, what would you say to them if they're, you know, if they see a company like yours, they want to make their own shoes, or they want to, you know, go on their own venture, and they want to start, but at the same time, they're not used to taking risks because, you know, all their life, you know, uh, they've been raised otherwise. You know, what, what advice would you give to that person? Not to be afraid of failure. I think the biggest thing being risk averse is that you're afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. And failure is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I try, you know, I have a, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and I try to teach them that every day. Um, you don't learn without failing. Mm -hmm. And... I know that my parents' failures taught them lessons that made them able to do better in the next round. Uh -huh. now, you know, I'm going to go back to, I'm a mother, and I have, a, I said, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, uh -huh. and I'm potty training right now, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you, there's a lot of failure in that, uh -huh. and, but your child is going to learn. Uh -huh. In the same way, you can look at business in the same way that, you know, I can call a customer four times, and um, one of my largest customers today, um, we were trying to work together for three years, and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I could have walked away. Um, but I kept calling. Mm -hmm. I kept keeping in touch. And I kept saying, maybe now. And when we finally had the opportunity that it worked for both of us, um, it's become extremely successful. So I think that, you know, you 
walking away and making the safe bet of somebody saying no or somebody closing the door in your in your face doesn't always mean that it can't be successful or, or that maybe it's not the right time or maybe it's not the right idea, but that you can put some people out there that will be. For sure, you know, definitely, you know, I definitely sympathize uh, with people. You know, if you know, if you kind of grew up ingraining that your whole life, it can definitely be more difficult uh, to break away. You know, fortunately for you, you was very fortunate, kind of, you know, very kind of really have a driven and entrepreneurial father, so that definitely made it easier. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become our premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial-free one-hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. The underlying what you said uh, really is not being afraid of failure. And sometimes, you know... Ultimately, you're going to have to, even the people you love, you know, if they're disempowering and they're not helping you uh, to reach that finish line, whether that is having your own business, then, you know, you might have to, you know, separate yourself from them from a little while, you know, so so you can really kind of build up your confidence and build up your your self-esteem. I mean, everyone is different, you know, but at the same time, you know, you know, birds, you know, as they say, uh, uh, the, the 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 five people you hang out with the most is probably going to be the average of your your network. Your network is your net worth. So you know if you know if if you're hanging around a lot of disempowering uh, opinions, a lot of disempowering people, then uh, it's definitely not going to encourage you to empower yourself and be confident and learn how to take more risks. So uh, it's definitely you know I would definitely say it's not easy. And uh, you know people you love. Uh, a lot, you know, who who think they mean well, but, you know, sometimes, you know, their good opinion may not always be good for you overall. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Support. I think you need support. Yeah. You know, I always think that if you're starting an adventure, you need support. And I'm sure you've probably talked to a bunch of entrepreneurs. And my dad had my mom, and they worked together as a team. Mm-hmm. With that support, I don't know that it would have been as successful as it was. And she was involved from the beginning of the team and he had his family backing him in terms of his kids and his wife, you know, not being afraid of him taking that risk yeah. and changing that style for a long, you know, they could have had a much nicer lifestyle at the beginning and um, decided to, to forego that. You know, there were days when they went to the grocery store and had to say, I'm not going to buy this because I can't afford it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have to put this back on the shelf. And, you have to be okay to take that kind of risk. It's not only just the, you know, just the risk in the business. It's also how it's going to affect your personal life, and you have to be okay with it affecting your personal life, which I think might be something that most people that are risk averse may have, a, I think, a harder time with doing. For sure, you know, and you know, people in the U.S. definitely are, you know, privileged in a bit more because there's so many entrepreneurial communities across the U.S. Uh, you have you have you have incubators, you have accelerators, you have these these meetups, you know, that's entrepreneur based. Um, but people in other countries, uh, you know, that could definitely be a bit more challenging. But hey, at the same time, you know, I always tell people, uh, you could be the first person, you know, be the because I'm quite sure there's a lot of people, you know, in your area uh, who definitely uh, 
also want to do the same thing. And you could just be the you could be the first person that starts their own kind of entrepreneur community, uh, and, you know, and wherever you are. And then uh, you know, and and then obviously you know, uh, the, the power of the mastermind uh, is is essentially uh, going to make the difference in helping everyone. You know, you know, people basically leverage each other resources, be helpful to to each other, and then together, you know, everyone. Uh, makes more progress, so uh, you know that's 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 definitely uh, that's definitely good. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the actual shoes, you know, because uh, you got quite a selection. And uh, let's start let's start there. Let's start with the most common one, which uh, I forgot the name of that one. But let's start let's start let's start with the most common one. Let's talk about what was the idea behind it, and what were some challenges that you faced. Before it started, before it started to take off and started to sell so many shoes. So, the shoes are all comfort based, and one of our biggest things is every one of our shoe has a DNA and um, of the footbed mm-hmm. inside you, whether or not you see it. Some of them are covered and dressier, and you can't tell, but they basically have the same footbed inside of each one, which is a cork and latex footbed mm-hmm. with metal foam, and on top of that, there is a um, layer of suede. Mm-hmm. So the difference between us and a lot of other companies, like you said, a lot of times you have to break in shoes. Our shoes don't require that long of a break in time. A lot of women put them on and they go, they call them the oh my gosh shoes because they put them on and they go. <laughs> <laughs> kind of comfort existence. Um, and, you know, one of the big things was when we came, my dad came into the business, I guess, in, in the early 90s when he started bringing shoes in, uh, late 80s. Um, you know, the... People didn't understand that shoes didn't need to be resold every year. Uh-huh. And sandals. And in Israel, especially sandals. In Israel, they wear sandals 10 months out of the year. Wow. Uh, so if they're wearing ten sandals 10 months out of the year, the the sole and the make of the shoe has to withstand that. It has to withstand the hot heat of the summer and, and everything else that gets put on it. And so with that, you know, we would show that our shoes didn't crack when you bent them in half. And... This became a new thing back then. Um, that how could that happen? You know, what kind of material are you using? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of excited a bunch of, of people coming in. We also didn't sell directly to um, shoe stores at the beginning. We sold to other ways in the market because the shoe stores were looking for big brand names, and so we sold to surf shops or boutiques or whoever will bring them in. The shoes themselves are designed by women for women. So what's really unique about us is we actually have a thirty-person design team that's headed by three women um and as you said we do have a men's collection as well and that's designed by men which is a very interesting thing you know i, I took my best friend you said you travel a lot my best friend uh, was living in bologna in italy um mm-hmm. she was getting a master's degree at the time and i went to a shoe show in milan and i brought her with me and i said well come with me come meet me for the day let's walk around and one of the interesting things of walking around with her was, you know, I grew up in this industry. I didn't really look at anything as anything strange because it was just that's how it was. And she walked around me at the end of the day. She looks at me and she goes, hmm, there's a bunch of middle-aged men deciding women's fashion, huh? <laughs> and I said, oh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. And all of a sudden, you know, I thought about how crazy we are that we have women designing for women mm. uh, and looking at women's fashion. So the idea is that you want to have a shoe that you can stand in all day, that you can walk in all day. That you can dance all night in, and you can still look cute in, and still be fashionable, and still feel feminine, and still feel pretty. And for men, we have a new collection called the Executive Collection, which has really launched uh, in a big way. And that 
Actually, Bill Murray just wore him to the White House. Um, really? Um, uh, yeah. Wow. Love him like golfing with Obama, but those are our shoes <laughs> that he's wearing. Um, and that actually is a new process we started, which is a hand-painted process. Again, we employ artisans and artists and designers, very different than a lot of companies who are just you know, copycat of what's out there, um, who all have uh, degrees basically in design. And so we created a process where they actually hand-paint each shoe. So each shoe is unique in itself, and those are the shoes he's wearing. Um, one of the other big things that we do is we brought in, as I said, our manufacturing is done in a much more ecological way. Mm-hmm. A very interesting thing that the Italians do, and we send our designers all over the world, Australia, India, Italy, to learn different things and to kind of take sabbaticals so that they can bring back new ideas. And as we come to a close, Ayala, if people want to follow you or get in contact with you, uh, you know, or maybe perhaps, you know, you know, you know, maybe maybe you got a, uh, some sales or promotions going on or whatever, uh, and they're interested in buying uh, Now It Shoes, uh, how can they do that? So um, they can follow us on Facebook, Nao, um, on our, our, uh, also our, our webpage, Nao.com, and sign up for email blasts. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Um, and so they can get all that kind of information. And we have a blog that goes out every week as well that they can sign up to, to access. Great. And, and now it is naot.com, correct? Yeah. Great. Ayala, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs. If you haven't already, purchase the book, Reaching the Finish Line, at Reaching thefinishline.com Now it's time for you to start reaching your finish line. So what are you waiting for? Start 